All right. Good morning. Uh, I am going to say that I'm I'm not fully here right now. Um, oh man. Unfortunately, uh, this, this week I had to go to a funeral. You know, funerals aren't fun to go to. It just hit me. So, oh man, it's tough. You gotta take deep breaths, and uh, I'll get through it. But I had to say something because if I didn't say something, then I'd just hold it in. I don't want to hold it in. Um, but he was a student of mine back in Mississippi, and so it just hit me when I was sitting there, being in church. You know, when you're traveling and you're at the funeral and everything is going so fast, and you're seeing people, and it's it's happy to see people, but you think about it. So I'm going to pray. And then we'll start. I notice. <laughs> it's good. It's good. Pat, would you come up here? Father, our hearts are heavy. There's so much in this world that uh, just weighs on us that we never understand. Father, we lift up uh, Brother Jimmy this morning and Michelle and the family of uh, Jaden, Jaden, who was lost from this world. Mm-hmm. Father, we uh, pray that you'll bring strength to them in the coming days and Father, we just uh, pray that uh, your hand will continue to be in that situation. Father, we, uh, we grieve so often. So many have lost loved ones. And uh, Father, it's only because of the hope that we have in you. Yes, yes, yes. That we're able to endure the difficulties of this life. Father, we uh, lift up uh, your servant this morning, Jimmy, as he uh, yes, Father. prepares to bring your word. I pray that your spirit will move in him. And uh, Father, we're just thankful for his heart and for his ability to open up and share with us. Yes, Father, yes. Father, we all have tears this morning, but they're tears of uh, joy for the blessings that we have in this life. We thank you for Jesus and for his saving grace. And as a congregation, we pray that we'll just continue to love each other and to grow closer together as we serve you in this place. Yes, yes, Father. Father, bless us now. And we just give you the praise, honor, and glory. And it's in your son's name we pray together. Amen. Appreciate it. Yeah, brother. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. 
appreciate it. Love your... Yeah. <laughs> appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Well, that was good. Oh, man. Didn't expect that, but that's what happens. All right. So, welcome. If you're new here, that was weird for you, I'm sure. Uh, it was weird for me. I don't usually do that. It's not my typical move. But... Uh, Welcome. I'm glad you're here with us this morning. And uh, today we're going to we'll go ahead and start a six-week series. All right, six weeks ambitious, but uh, if you count the days, we got six Sundays until Easter, which is kind of a big deal, okay? So we're going to start uh, a six-week series, series, and we're going to be asking questions every single week. And today's question is, who is Jesus? And I know that is a big question to ask. Uh, you could have a bunch of different answers to this. You could have different ideas of where we're going, and I love those ideas, and I hope you hold them with you this morning, uh, but this morning we might go a different way, okay? Uh, uh, we're going to be asking questions, who, what, where, when, why, and how, and I think it's important to understand who we're talking about in order to celebrate who resurrected from the grave and who ultimately saved us of our sins. So today we're asking the question, who is Jesus? And, and you might know these things. I'm not going to say anything today that you're going to be just dumbfounded by. But I think it's something that we should reaffirm as we get ready for Easter. As we get ready to celebrate the resurrection of Christ in this ultimately world-changing event, life-changing, person-changing, everything-changing event that took place when Jesus rose from the grave. So who is Jesus, okay? Before we get there, I want to ask you, do you, does anybody in here like to read books? Anybody? So I'm guessing the other people who aren't raising, raising their hands might like to watch movies, okay? Maybe you're a movie person or a book person. Maybe you're a both. And so there's some people, my son being one of them, that sometimes likes to open to the end of the book and read what's going to happen and then go back and read the book. Has anybody ever done that before? You should go to jail. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, you know, I, I've been tempted to do that before, too. And there's certain um, movies, you know, where sometimes they'll show you a little clip of how it ends before they tell you how they get there, right? Uh, good storytellers are able to do that, right? They're able to tell you the plot twist ending, and then you're able to watch the whole movie and say, how are we going to get to that place where we started? Unfortunately, I talk about Survivor too much, okay? Um, but one time, I don't know how it happened, Michelle and I were watching when we clicked ne next episode, and guess what happened? It wasn't the next episode. It was the end of the last episode that came up, which, if you're a Survivor fan, that is bad to see who is sitting there at the end. And it was one of the biggest twists that's ever happened in the entire game. And I shielded my eyes, but Michelle saw, and she couldn't unsee what she saw. So I was able to experience it. She wasn't, okay? Uh, but there's something about the twist ending that just makes everything so worth it. There's this journey that you take place. But again, like I said, there are some great storytellers that can tell you how everything is going to end and still be captivated along the way. And it takes a really, really good storyteller to be able to do that. And that's one of the reasons why I love the book of Mark. Okay, so we have a very, very short passage this morning. M Michelle asked me, what's your passage for this week? I said, Mark 1.1. 1, 1. She said, that's it? I said, yeah. So we're going to read this out loud together. Okay, Mark 1.1. 1, 1. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. We're going to read it one more time, okay? The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, 
the Son of God. Mark is a person who gets to the point very quickly. It's my favorite gospel because it's the shortest, okay? It's my favorite because it gets directly to the point. It gets at the heart of the issue because Mark right here is a great storyteller. He unfolds the life of Jesus very quickly, but before he even gets to that, he tells you the end of the story. And we as readers, many, 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 many years later, are able to read Mark 1.1 and know something that everybody else doesn't know yet. Right? That in the beginning, or excuse me, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. We know something everybody else doesn't know just yet. We know the capital M Messiah is in this story, and we're going to find out what he did on this earth. But what's funny about Mark is that Jesus moves about the world, and he's doing all these different things. He's preaching to crowds. He's healing people. He's doing all these miraculous deeds. And when he does these things all the time, guess what he says? Don't tell anybody. You know, if I was the Messiah, if I was Jesus, I'd say, make sure you tell your friends and bring them here next week. We're going to do it again. Right, that's what I do every, here, every Sunday. Right, bring, I just did that for Wednesday night. I said, bring your friends to Wednesday night. But Jesus says, hey, I'm going to do this miraculous thing. I'm going to show you a little bit of what God's going to do on this earth, but I do not want you to tell anybody. And what's funny is he goes from town to town. He does these miraculous things, and there's actually people there that know who he is, but they're not really people. Right? When he goes into towns and he confronts demons, the demons know exactly who Jesus is, Right? You read about that, they say, get away from me, Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah. They say all these things, and Jesus is like, hey, let's not say that. I don't want you saying that about me. There's this secrecy around Jesus as he moves about the world, but we, as readers of Mark's gospel, years and years and years later, we already know something, that this is a story about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. We are in on it. We know the twist ending. But people can't see. So you might be asking yourself the question, you know, what does Messiah mean? And it's lowercase m here on purpose, okay? Because the word Messiah here and the word Messiah here, capital M, kind of have a different connotation and different meaning, okay? So what does Messiah mean? Literally all it means is anointed one, okay? When we were at camp, actually, K through 5th camp at CFBC, Their entire theme was based around who is Jesus. And they actually got to the same point I'm getting to today. Uh, So they asked me to speak on Sunday morning, you know, tell us about the Messiah. And I got to anoint somebody who happened to be my wife, right? I anointed her with a cup of water in front of all the kids, and they loved it. Um, I didn't do that this morning because she's back there. No, I wouldn't have done it. Uh, She didn't love it. Uh, But when you read the Old Testament, you actually encounter other Messiahs. Okay, when we talk about Jesus, the capital M Messiah, we have a different lens we need to look through because when we read the Old Testament, we see other anointed ones, okay? Think back with me to your your Sunday school class right now, okay? Think about other anointed ones. I think about the first person that comes to mind is Saul, right? You remember Saul, the king, the first king of Israel, right? The people of Israel, they look around and they say, you know what? Every single other country, they have a king. We want one too. And God's like, well, what about me? And even Samuel's like, hey, guys, you recognize that this isn't a good idea, right? And they're like, no, 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 we understand what we're doing. Please anoint us a king. And they anointed Saul as king of Israel. He was anointed before God and before man to represent God's people before God, right? But Saul didn't work out too well. 
right? Saul was not a good man. He had his heart hardened, and he did really bad things. Okay, so he was a Messiah, lowercase m, Messiah, anointed one before God. So you're thinking in your mind, okay, what comes after Saul? David, he was a good guy, right? Saul, or excuse me, David was an anointed king of Israel before God and before God's people to represent God's people before God. And David did a lot of great things, right? We're talking about David and Goliath here, right? The, the, the miraculous things that he was able to do through God's help. But if you also think about David, he wasn't the best representative, right? He did some shady stuff. And we say, well, David was a man after God's own heart. But at the end of the day, David made a whole lot of mistakes. And yes, he was an anointed one. He was a Messiah. He was this figure. But he was not it, right? He was not it. He was not the final say-so. Both were Messiahs, right? Both were lowercase Messiahs, but they were not Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. They were anointed ones, but they were not it for people. For generations, though, I bring up David because David was the example. He was a good king, and he did a lot of good things, and he was bringing Jerusalem, he was bringing them back to their, their place of prominence. And he was a good leader, he was a good military leader, and he did a lot of good things while he was the king of Israel. And so for generations and generations and generations, they would tell their kids, we're waiting for a Messiah like David. So in their mind, they're saying, okay, someone's going to come and they're going to be just like David, but even better. What David was able to do, this next Messiah, this person we're waiting for, is going to do even better. But in their minds, they have this mold of David. I think about it, tell you, like with sports, right? We have different players who are prototypes for their position, right? In basketball, you want a guy who's 6'10 with a 7'5 wingspan, right? You want these lanky guys who are so athletic they can handle the ball. In football, you want a guy who's 350 pounds but can also run the 40-yard dash in four seconds. That happens. That's wild, is it not? It's, it's crazy. We have these molds a lot of times in sports that we want to put guys into, but the people of Israel were doing the same thing. Not so much on a small level of, you know, who is going to be our, our wing defender, right, in basketball, they're waiting for their capital in Messiah. Someone's going to come someday that's a lot like David, and they're going to bring us all back to this place of prominence. We're not going to have to worry anymore once that new David comes. But the problem is, like we already know from Mark 1.1, Jesus is this capital in Messiah. And people are looking around at Jesus, and guess who they don't see? They don't see David, right? People were really mad about Jesus. And this is kind of why. Let's just read together Matthew 3, or excuse me, 5, 3 through 5. This is the kind of stuff Jesus, right, the capital and Messiah that we learned about, is saying to people. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You don't have to read it out loud, sorry. Sorry, I do that every time I'm up here. Let's read this with our eyes. It's a lot, okay? I'll read it. Blessed are the, are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
do you see why this is problematic for the people of Israel? If they're waiting for a anointed one, a capital M Messiah who's going to be kind of like David but much better, he shouldn't be saying these kind of things. Especially not this one right here. Wait, I stopped reading, but I got my point. Especially this right here, Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers. You don't want that if you're waiting for the next David. If you're waiting for Israel to become this place, Jerusalem to be this high and lifted up place where people are finally going to see them as God's people, you are definitely not wanting a military leader who is going to say this to the people. Blessed are the peacemakers. I thought we were going to be the ones keeping the peace. I thought we were going to be the ones high and lifted up, that God was going to lift us up to a place that people could no longer doubt that we are God's people. But you're going to say, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. That's a problem. And in my mind, if I'm a normal person who I've been told my entire life, and I've been telling my children and they tell their children that we're going to have a capital M Messiah who's like David, who's going to bring us to a prominent place I don't want to hear this from this guy. And I definitely would not think of him as the capital M Messiah. They wanted a military leader, not a leader like this. People weren't ready. People weren't ready for this. And we see this all through the New Testament, all through the, through the Gospels. People weren't ready for the Messiah like this, but there were echoes, okay? And this is the, the, the idea of when you read the Old Testament, there's echoes of Jesus throughout. Okay, even from the very beginning. And I mean from the very beginning. After the fall of man, if we read in Genesis, you know, we understand that man sins. And because of that sin, they have to be cast away from God and they can no longer be with God in an intimate way as they were before. And as God is speaking to Adam and Eve, and as he's speaking out these curses that are going to take place, he actually even curses the serpent, okay? And this is what he says. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. There's this idea that there's evil in the world, And the serpent, he represents evil, and this evil has infiltrated the world to where God and man have to be separated. And God looks at evil and says, there's going to come a day when your head is going to be crushed. But in the process, there's going to be a price to pay for the one who crushes your head. Are you following me? He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. There's going to be a great day of celebration, but on that celebratory day, there's going to be a lot of pain involved as well. Evil needed to be dealt with, and it will come at a cost. And the thing is that people came and went, right? Other messiahs came and went. We read about them already. We talked about them. And there's people that Israel lifts up and says, this got to be the guy. But guess what happens to that guy? He dies. And then people move on, and nothing really changes. And over time, people come and people go. And even today, unfortunately, you know, people come and people go. But evil still had to be dealt with. The capital M Messiah was needed, and a different anointing was needed as well. Let's look together at Mark 1, beginning in verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. A voice came from heaven, You are my Son, with whom I, son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. You see, we have this anointing where the kings of Israel would be, would be anointed by the high priest, and this symbolic ceremony tells you that this person is anointed and they are God's spokesperson, God's king. But we needed a different kind of Messiah, and I think, in, in theory, we needed a different type of anointing. 
right? And you should be more familiar with this anointing because we practice it as well because we see it done here. We see Jesus taking this example, and he is this capital and Messiah, and he needs to be anointed before God and God's people, but it's not just going to be with oil. It's going to be with the Holy Spirit. No longer can these men, these failed, broken, evil men, be in charge of leading God's people. It has to be Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, who is anointed by the Holy Spirit. Right? If this doesn't take place, if the Spirit never does this, this, this anointing is so important is what I'm getting at. It's not just a ceremony. This is God saying, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And I don't think it's by any accident that Mark lays out his gospel this way, right? If you're looking in your New Testaments here, in Mark chapter 1, we have Mark 1.1 where it says the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah. And Mark doesn't give any kind of birth narrative. He doesn't give any birth story. He doesn't give any genealogies. He says, this is the Messiah, and this is how he's anointed, and how he's going to change the world through the act of the Holy Spirit. Mark is trying to say this with as you know, neon highlighted up letters. This is the anointed Messiah, the Son of God. And he's going to do something truly, truly special in this world. This Messiah will triumph over evil. This is the one that's going to stomp the serpent's head while at the same time be struck on the heel. There's a great celebration, but it comes at a cost. So you might be asking yourself the question, you know, like, why is this important? We said, who is Jesus? It's a big question. A lot of different answers. And we're seeing him as the capital M Messiah this morning. Why is it important for us to see Jesus as the Messiah? We need to understand the final goal. Okay, and I didn't mean to do that. Uh, okay, cool. We need to understand the final goal. We need to understand what Jesus hoped to accomplish while he was on this earth. The final goal is to triumph over evil. And along the way, he does miraculous things. And along the way, he preaches and teaches. But the final goal is to triumph over evil. Okay, and let's read here together in John chapter 1. Verses 1 through 5. In the beginning, don't read it out loud, sorry, I'm reading it out loud. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. And this is very, very important. In Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's, le- let's read that last sentence together out loud, all of us, where it starts with the light together. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I said from the beginning there was a problem with evil. And these lowercase messiahs kept trying to figure it out for us. And guess what? There's still lowercase messiahs in this world trying to figure it out for us. That's unfortunate. It doesn't matter what people say at the end of the day because when we have Jesus, when we have this light that shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it, he showed us by the resurrection that that is truth. At the end of the day, people are going to pass away. People are going to die, but Jesus shows us that there's something else with him. And that's why he's the capital M Messiah, the one who can truly deal with evil in the way that it needs to be dealt with. This true Messiah is the only answer. We have Saul's and we have David's. They tried and they tried. 
And the problem is, though, is that evil was still in this world and they couldn't do anything about it. But Jesus was able to finally triumph, and his final goal was to overcome evil. The second thing is, why is this important that we, we see Jesus as the Messiah? Is that so we don't make him into something we want him to be. Have you ever tried that before? To make Jesus into something he's not? To make Jesus be who you want him to be? It doesn't work with people, right? We try to make our kids into the people we want them to be. We get them signed up for activities we want them to be good at. We get them to hang around kids we want them to hang around with. But at the end of the day, you can't control their lives. How much more so is it more difficult to do that about Jesus, right? If we can't control our own kids, there's no way that we can make Jesus into our own image. You follow me? But you see, when you read the New Testament, especially the Gospels, when he's, when he's preaching and teaching, people were always trying to make Jesus into something he wasn't. Right? Let's, let's read together. I don't have the slide for this, but in Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 27, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages and around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. Can you hear what the disciples are going through? As they answer that question, they recognize that even then, people were trying to make Jesus into something he was not. Well, he's kind of like Elijah. He's kind of like a prophet. Let's continue reading. Verse 29, he gets very direct. But who, but what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Capital M, Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anybody. And if you keep reading there, my, my heading says this, your Bible might as well. As Peter finishes saying, you are the Messiah, Jesus then launches into another example of him predicting his death. The opposite of what the lowercase Messiah was supposed to do, right? the opposite of what they expected the Messiah to do. I talk about it all the time, but Jesus was all about ushering in an upside-down kingdom. And this kingdom is so upside-down that the one who's going to save us has to die first. That's what Messiahs do. Capital M, Messiahs do. We can't make Jesus into something he's not. We can't use Jesus for our own devices. I've seen it. I've seen people try to do it. It's not reality. You can even see up to his final days on, on earth where they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, you know, God is saving us. They're putting down palm branches for, to celebrate Jesus as king. But then they turn around and they kill him. People were trying to make him king and, and Jesus wasn't about that. He says, no, no, no. In order for me to triumph over evil, I have to die first. And we see that example. And, that, and that's kind of like a big example we see in the New Testament, but we do it ourselves. We try to make Jesus into something he's not, and we have to stop. And I'm going to leave you here with this, okay? This is from Isaiah chapter 53. Very, very common passage. It's known to be a prophecy about Jesus. I'm going to turn to it because I think I'm going to read a little bit more than I have on the slide. Isaiah 53, beginning in verse 2. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of the ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. 
He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like no one, like, or excuse me, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, he did not open his mouth. I'm going to continue reading here. I don't think I have it. I do. Okay. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Unfortunately, as people, we have this image of what we want God to be. And this isn't new. But when we ask the question, who is Jesus? He's the capital M Messiah. And he's not the Messiah who's going to do everything that you want him to do. He's going, to think that he's going to do everything that you need him to do. And the vehicle by which he does it is being high and lifted up, not on you know, some kind of pedestal, like on somebody's shoulders, but on a cross. That's what messiahs do. And that's how evil is triumphed over. Yes, we share in his sufferings, and we, and we recognize that you know, the crucifixion is a horrible death. But in that horrible death, as he strikes the head of evil, and as evil strikes back to strike his heel, we recognize the story's not over. And it's just beginning by what he does after the fact. And we're going to get there one day, okay? We have six weeks. But the question is, who is Jesus? He is the capital and Messiah, the triumpher over evil. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this time, and God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his ability to be the capital M Messiah, the Messiah that we need, and sometimes not the Messiah that we want. God, I recognize that sometimes I'm confronted by Jesus, and I want to disagree. He offends me sometimes, and he grows me, and he, and he makes me to know things that I just don't want to wrestle with, really. But God, help us to recognize that Jesus is this Messiah that we are being shaped into. We are striving to be more like every day. And we recognize we can't attain this perfection. We can't attain this way. But we recognize that, God, when you look at us, you see Jesus. And that's pretty special. God, thank you for Jesus. And thank you for his sacrifice. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And we talk about this every Sunday. But I want to say that you are invited to come forward if you need any kind of assistance or help, or praise, or whatever it might be. If you want to be baptized, if you want to be anointed with the Spirit as Jesus was, this is a good time to do it. If you want to have a conversation about that, talk to somebody. Won't you come while we please stand and sing?